Perfect. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to Wellness Wednesdays and the Rise Up with Orion podcast. We are so thrilled to have an amazing expert, Nancy Spangler, with us today. Nancy is a consultant, trainer, facilitator, executive coach, and writer. She's the president of Spangler Associates since 1994, where she helps organizations look broadly at the multiple systems that support a shared responsibility for individual and organizational health and resilience including 16 years spent with the American Psychiatric Association's Foundation Center for Workplace Mental Health. Um, highly educated with a bachelor's and master's degree in occupational therapy. Um, she also obtained her doctor of philosophy degree in therapeutic science. And again, an amazing expert with lots of peer-reviewed articles and textbooks. And Nancy, I hope I have done a little bit of justice to introduce you. What have I missed? Oh, no, that's that's lovely of you. I think, yes, I have worked at this and studied this, but, but everybody is an expert in their own situation. So I hope people come to this with the mindset that We've all experienced a lot of things, particularly in the last year, and we've probably all learned a lot too. So I'll oh gosh, share no question. others to share any thoughts that they have on what's gotten them through. Yes, no kidding. So our, our topic today um, is entitled High Performance Cultures and Employee Wellbeing. And I think this is a loaded title. So let's kind of break it down for people. Um, when I think about performance for me personally, and I'm sure you can share some examples as well, depending on the situation, for some reason, it drives a little bit of pressure or makes me a little bit anxious when I hear high performance. So why is that? Or is it just me? Well, I think it that's true for a lot of people. And so let's think about what are other high perform, what, what does that term high performance bring to mind in other contexts, like high performance fabric for hiking. You know, you want to have a high performance fabric, yeah. um, high performance vehicles. It just means they're reliable. They're going to get you through it, maybe right. a little better than other kinds of fabrics or cars or, or whatever. So when we think about a high performance workplace, all it means is people are doing their jobs, they're doing them well, and then they have enough energy at the end of the day to go home and do whatever else they need or want to do so they can come back the next day and do it all over again. You know, that's what high performance is. And when you think about high performance in life, that that is it. It's being able to face the challenges that we all have, a.k.a. stressors, and be able to bounce back and do as well as you possibly can. So that's right. all but when we, when we think about, gosh, a high performance workplace, does that mean like high pressure? Does it mean long hours? Does it mean like I'm going to have to do more than than just the average Joe in order to get ahead here? You know, so every workplace has their own culture. And if if that's what it means, you probably won't be a high performance workplace for very long. I mean, people will burn out or they'll decide that, hey, this is not worth it, or I don't like this, you know, you lose people. So what research has found is that those workplaces that balance out the performance and the people factors tend to do better financially. And that means we have more jobs and we get paid. Gosh, no kidding. 
Yes. And I think, you know, maybe, you know, some of that, you know, my, my pressure and my anxiety around high performance, it may have been because of the pandemic, things are so different. So, you know, I think, you know, and you can probably allude to this, you know, it has changed in the last year. And I think high performance is taking on a little bit of a different meaning. Oh, yeah. And when we think about, okay, what, what were the pressures that we all felt from the beginning? You know, the uncertainty, mm -hmm. the isolation, and then as things started to rebound a bit, you know, you get hopeful, maybe you get over hopeful, maybe you get unsafe. <laughs> I think a lot of workplaces may have uh, bounced back too soon. And then, then they go the other direction. There's been a lot of trial and error. And in some ways, you know, that's really understandable. I think those workplaces that have rebounded the best are ones where there is a high degree of trust, high degree of communication, and a willingness to uh, let people have some autonomy and do things the way that works for them, uh, you know, when, when possible. There were some environments and some industries where Everybody had to be all hands on deck right from the get-go. You know, and a lot of those industries have shown that there are some people burning out. We need to look at how do we balance the pressures and the ability to be somewhat um, trusted in getting the job done. So that's kind of what a high-performance culture is anyway, regardless of pandemic. Is yeah. A lot of trust, there's a lot of communication, there is a lot of uh, shared responsibility for individual resilience factors and skill sets, developing those, modeling those, as well as organizational factors like policies and procedures that make sense. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's kind of it in a nutshell. As we come back from, from COVID and continue with our recovery from it, I, I hope that workplaces think about that and think about the values that are in common between the organization and their people. That makes all the difference in the world. It does, and Nancy, one of the elements that you mentioned a couple times, which I think is so important just over the last year and as we move forward is communication. Um, so I think as an employee of an organization myself, you know, really taking that communication to the next level. So what have you seen in terms of kind of resilient communication on how that's helping or effective ways that that really can aid to a high performance culture? So this is a, a common uh, recommendation, COVID or not, but particularly with COVID, the idea of having regular check-ins. When people, so I found this in my research 10, 12 years ago and others research that when people have an idea that they're going to be able to talk with their team or their uh, even their CEO. I In my research, I heard from people who said, we can count on hearing from our CEO quarterly or monthly or whatever the period was. And right. know that we're gonna hear, even if it's bad news, we're gonna hear the, the straight news. So um, that predictability is really important. And the idea that you will be heard Google and their studies on teams found that it's not just that there are personalities who lead teams, it's when there's a balance and everybody has a sense that they can be heard and that they can be the real person that they are, that they bring themselves 
the work. When you have to put on a show every day that just wears you down. You mm -hmm. can't break down from stress as easily as when you can be your authentic self. Yes, no question. And there's a question coming in um, about kind of the method of communication. Obviously, in the last year, we've had to switch from, you know, a personal meeting one on one in within each other's space to very virtual. So within your studies, have you seen any more or less effective methods of communication? So this was pre-COVID as well. And looking at remote work and, and teams, um, what the research suggests is, again, if there is a regularity of the, uh, the conversations, regardless of in-person or remote, that's the key factor, just being right. able to predict it. And um, having personal connection, having human connection periodically allows for the remote interaction, you know, even if it's email or how, whatever your system is, um, you know, a lot of uh, groups have different kinds of team communications. Whatever your system is, as long as people understand it, know how to work it, and feel that it is real. You don't have to go behind it and send an email separately because you don't trust uh, that the people are going to take you at face value in the, the real connections. So I keep saying the word trust. That was the key factor in my research to individual and organizational resilience. When there's a high level of trust, there's better resilience, better bouncing back, and a better ability to see stress as not horrible, but as a challenge that mm -hmm. you push yourself really hard to do, and then trust that you will have the time and the understanding that you will have some recovery uh, to do. You know, like managers modeling that, hey, I understand you guys were really burning the midnight oil on this project. That goes above and beyond what we expect from you, but you did it. And thank you. And now I want to be sure that you take the time you need to get some exercise, to eat right, to get sleep, to interact with your family or friends or whoever gives you sustenance. Mm. And, you know, when a manager does that, it, it really sets the stage for, okay, I can push myself hard and I have permission to recover. Yes, definitely. And I think, you know, in an employee's shoes as well, it's it's a totally different feeling when there is that open communication and trust, you know, where the managers, you know, are taking that as a priority. And I think you mentioned, you know, giving thanks. And that is something that, you know, I see within all of my companies across the country that, you know, the gratitude chain, I think, is something that we can't ever get enough of is just the thanks and the gratitude coming from, you know, peers to peers or those from above. Right. And, you know, that's an important part of communication, too, being sure that you have communicated the thanks when someone has done a good job, even if it's just the bare minimum. It encourages people to keep going when they hear that someone appreciates what they did. And, you know, people are in settings where managers don't do that. You can find workarounds and find your own support systems and model that because your teams will be the ones that become effective. And being able to demonstrate that, other teams will notice and they'll say, well, how are you doing that? And, and then you can say, we've set up these communications. Um, we start our meetings with a check-in. You know, that's a really important one too, just being able for people to be able to be themselves and to say, hey, 
uh, you know, I got a new puppy. I'm having a real, really hard time. If you hear a noise, please forgive me. You know, just yeah, to, sure. to let loose and and be upfront with. So, so that kind of ground, I love talking about top down, but also bottom up and middle. The middle probably is the key. Like middle managers make a huge difference, whether they have the permission from above or not. And then they are often influenced by the people who work under them if there is some open communication. And when, when we talk about communication, probably the greatest skill set for resilience in organizations is it's called motivational interviewing, but if you just think of it as open-ended questions and reflecting back what you heard. Mm -hmm. exactly. Slowing things down and being sure you, you, were, you were clear. Yes, and listening. Oh my heavens, I think, you know, that's one as well as, you know, just listening yeah. to that. And I, I apply this obviously to my children as well. Um, yeah. where, you know, we do it at the dinner table where I, I ask everyone at the dinner table to take a victory lap. In other words, you know, what is one thing that went really well for you today, whether that be on the soccer field or with your friends and also kind of that resilience tool that we could use in the workplace. So I call it a victory lap. Um, exactly. but again, you know, great conversation to listen and stop and, you know, be present with that. Right. You know, in some of my coaching, I even coach people to do that, that victory posture, that oh, one, yeah. the power pose where, I mean, there, there's controversial research about the exact uh, mechanism that's going on there. But I feel like uh, doing, uh, working with people with serious depression way back in my career and watching them come in, you know, postures were like this. And, mm. and once they started getting better, you'd see them open up and start to have facial expressions and shoulders back, head up. So to me, if that is the contrast you can see as a person improves from a really serious mental illness, why not practice it as a preventive mm -hmm. approach? So um, you probably can see in back of me, there's a picture of my son in a power pose when he was a boy. And when I was doing my PhD, that's what got me through. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, power through this. You'll get a break here in just a little bit, but you got to finish this chapter. <laughs> yes, and Nancy, I think you're talking about something so important is just your physical presence and the way you hold yourself tells your peers and your managers and the other way around so much just how you hold yourself and maybe your facial expressions. I think that is, you know, something that we often forget is communication without any words. Right. Um, some people start their meetings with the, the question, are we fully present? Is everybody fully present? Because yeah. that puppy dog or that child where you're trying to listen, are they doing their work online? Right. And that kind of thing, it can be so draining. Mm -hmm. That one moment together where you're really focused on what you need to do, what you need to communicate, being fully present makes all the difference. Oh my gosh, you're giving us so many resiliency tools just, you know, through a couple minutes of conversation. And I, and I love this. So let's kind of dig in a little bit deeper to that from the employee standpoint, you know, those that are, you know, on the job or even, you know, a stay at home mom, and that is their full-time job. What are some short-term resiliency tools that you can share with our community today that they could implement right now in the next 10 minutes? 
Okay, so I am a huge devotee of mindfulness meditation. I practiced for 40 years, but when I first started, I have to admit, it was really hard for me to sit still and really focus that long. It, it took a long time for that to kick in for me. And even now I find that my practice of mindfulness is broken up throughout the day as opposed to longer periods of sitting. So if anybody has tried mindfulness and thought, oh, that's just not for me, like I'm tuning out right now. <laughs> Try just doing short breathing practices. And by that, I mean inhaling naturally and exhaling fully and hold the exhale. Like do that four or five times in a row. Breathe in and exhale. Just exhale fully, really breathe out and hold the exhale out like you're just about out of breath. <laughs> and inhale and exhale. Again, just breathe out, really let all the air out. Empty your lungs and squeeze your diaphragm completely and then comfortably breathe in. If you do that a few times in a row, just by itself, it's fabulous. It actually engages the vagus nerve, which helps set the autonomic nervous system into a relaxation mode. It's like a quick trigger. Lizards do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's a great practice in itself. But if you've ever had trouble with mindfulness meditation, doing that kind of breathing first and just noticing that in itself and then letting go of the sort of um, practice of it and just get into the noticing of your relaxed breathing afterwards. To me, that's, that's a really great way to get into mindfulness meditation. But again, I break it up throughout the day. So like in the shower, I'll do my breathing exercises and then a few minutes of just noticing my breathing mindfully. Um, setting up triggers for things. Like, um, I also want to reinforce that um, anxiety has been really high during COVID. And in some ways, our anxious thoughts are, are good for us because they cause us to be vigilant. So don't fear your anxiety. It's there for a reason. But know that you don't have to be totally vigilant all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm that it's a trigger to get you to say, okay, there's something that's bothering me. What is the emotion? Name it. What is the emotion I'd rather feel? And how do I reframe it? How do I reframe my thinking to be more realistic, a little bit vigilant? But if something like this happens, then what will be my response? Yes. You stop ruminating over it and fearing it. You have a practical tool. If, then, mm -hmm. then you're all set. I mean, it's not that easy. I don't mean to minimize anxiety. Oh, sure. But when we have anxiety, we learn some of those tools through therapy. So my thinking as a preventionist is, why not learn those before you really need them in a crisis? Right, yeah. So when you're faced with anything that's similar that brings back some of those feelings or thoughts, I think that's fantastic. You know, the, the tools in your tool belt, if you will. Exactly. And then having a sense of responsibility that in order for your organization to as, do as well as it can, 
your, your workplace, your family, your group of friends, or that group, that organization, your church, whatever it is, in order for that group to thrive together, everybody needs a few skill sets that they can bring to reduce the group distress and increase the opportunity for thrive. Absolutely. Love it. Um, and again, you know, all those tools in your tool belt. And I think, Nancy, you may have already, you know, talked about it with mindfulness meditation. It's something that you started many years ago and you're still practicing today. So I think even those I mentioned, you know, some long term resiliency skills, you know, that you have formed from the short term ones. Exactly. And, and that's really the best way to form a resilience habit is to try some of these micro practices mm -hmm. within that different times of the day that trigger the idea of, okay, I'm, I'm gonna practice it now. So for me, it's a shower. Um, the if-then practices are when I'm putting the, di the dishes from the night before sitting out on the countertop in the rack, as I'm putting them away, that's when I have my if-thens. Okay, today I need to do this. And if this happens, then I'll be prepared for that. You know, so you're kind of thinking it through. Um, I always think about, okay, when am I going to get my walk in today? Whether mm. it's two or three walks of 10 minutes with the dog, or it's a good 45 to 60 minutes, uh, you know, through an area where I can just see the beauty of, of nature, or if it's connecting with a friend. You know, I always have a couple of people that I schedule walks with each week so that I show up <laughs> and I enjoy being with them. Um, savoring. So every meal, I look down and I think about, you know, how did I get this food? Mm -hmm. Where did it come from? Mm, what does, what, what am I most craving? Is it salty, savory, crunchy, or is it smooth, sweet, gushy? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and as I'm eating it, I make sure that I notice it and enjoy it. So those calories are worth it and that they fuel me rather than fill me. Yes, exactly. And I think, Nancy, one of the things that I'm really, you know, hearing from what you're saying is so much about being resilient it has to do with planning and being aware and being conscious of, you know, what's coming or, you know, maybe down the road what you may be hit with. So is planning yes. truly, a, you know, a resiliency tool? Absolutely. And, and tools like journals or calendars and just putting that in there, like even if it's Call Marty to schedule a walk. You know, you haven't done it yet, but you don't want to forget about it. <laughs> sure. That helps. It's like triggers. And then the more you trigger it, the more it becomes a habit. And once it's a habit, you don't have to think about it quite so much. It becomes natural and easy and, and fun. Yes. It's fun. It should be fun. And tell me about resiliency and how that affects stress kind of over time. You know, you talked about bouncing back and having all these tools in your tool belt. Are there long term effects of resiliency on overall stress and coping and maybe even so, overall health, unfortunately? Absolutely. So what happens is each time you have a stressor, your performance and your your health and everything goes down a little bit. And you need that recovery time to get back to homeostasis. But each time you reach that point and you've done well at the challenge, you go a little higher. Mm -hmm. So the next time you have a stressor, you fall a little lower, you bounce back a little higher. You're like, oh, I did that. Sweet. 
okay, I can do more. You're able to take on more challenges, do more, and to feel better about yourself. And actually, you begin developing pathways in your brain that are fluing into the uh, neurochemicals for joy, for feel good, for motivation. Mm -hmm. And so it just reinforces it. It's like a new pathway that gets reinforced and it, it is over time stronger and stronger and the physical aspects as well. So it's like rewiring the brain mentally and physically. Yeah. And as an organization, why wouldn't you want your employees to have those skills? Right. So if, if you are a manager and listening, um, or if not, actually, we've had a number of people say, I listened or I, I, I read a case study on your website and I went, I took it to a manager and we got a budget for mental health programming. Okay. Mm, <laughs> um, that was when I was working with the Center for Workplace Mental Health. So that website is uh, workplacementalhealth.org. And there are a bunch of case studies on there from small organizations to ultra large global organizations and examples of things that they did to bring the conversation to work and to allow people to uh, not feel that they have to hide when they're struggling mentally or emotionally. Um, yeah. All have those times. Also mental health resources. So say you try this resilient stuff and, and you're just not having uh, the response that, that you'd like, maybe it'd be better to talk with a coach or a counselor and get some support for it. So I, I just really want to reinforce this. It's May Mental Health Month. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. It's yeah. all part of the theme. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so Nancy, as we close today, um, at the beginning, I mentioned um, your institution. Do you want to talk a little bit about what Spangler Institute does and how you can, you know, help others, your Spangler Associates? Sure, Spangler Associates is just a consulting, coaching, uh, training platform, and I have worked with organizations and managers and groups of employees around building these resilient skills into habits and making sure that you look at your policies and practices and that they make sense. Definitely. And can you share your website so people can join that? Sure. It's spanglerhealth.com. And I for people to join me on LinkedIn as well and would welcome any uh, calls or, or emails for questions after this is over. Yes, and I think it's, I love it. I love it. And I think it's, a, you know, a great kind of close to our conversation today that you, you mentioned coaching, you mentioned your services, and just reaching out to those to that maybe are struggling or need some help. So again, bringing all those resources into the employees hands, and if needed to bring them into their culture, their work, workplace culture, or family, as it may be. So again, an amazing kind of grouping and collaboration opportunity for everyone on the call and podcast. So Nancy, thank you so, so much for your knowledge. And we will continue these conversations, I hope, through our podcast and webinar. I do want to invite those that are part of the Orion program to join us for our next month's Wellness Wednesday and podcast. We are going to be talking about continuing to talk about stress on how we can overcome opti 
opposition with fitness. We've got a USA track and field coach that'll be joining us. And Nancy, you must have known because the following month we are going to be doing a guided mindfulness meditation. So thank you so much, you must have known. So again, thank you so much for joining us, Nancy. Um, such a delight to have you here with all of your knowledge and your great smile. Thank you, I enjoyed thank it. Thank you, have a great okay. day, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs>